staying here today because they said, man, we got to learn about this great, this great message that we've got coming up, this great message about marriage. And if I'm going to just take us back about five weeks ago, we started a, a sermon series looking through the book of Ruth. And we saw a number of different character qualities of Ruth. We saw um, Ruth's loyalty. We saw her integrity. We saw her righteousness. We saw her legacy that, we, that she left. And then last week, we sort of tied in to her legacy because we saw mentioned Tamar, Judah, and Perez, who were part of Lou, Ruth's family tree and eventually the family tree of Jesus. Well, I want to go back to Ruth a little bit because the last part we saw was that Ruth got married to a guy named Boaz. And from that family tree, we saw this great godly legacy take place. And I'm connecting a couple dots here. I'm presuming a little bit. But it seems like Ruth and Boaz had this great marriage, had this really healthy marriage. And I thought at that time, you know, that would be a worthy thing for, for us to look at together, this whole idea of having a healthy marriage and combining that with, it was just back to school. Some of you guys went back to school four weeks ago. Some of you guys, if you're from Firelands, just a couple weeks ago. And when you go back to school, what do we have that we all hate? Quizzes. So let's combine what we hate with church. That just makes a lot of sense. We're going to take a little quiz this morning. These are some famous marriages, and we'll see who can recognize these different folks. Now, some of you younger people, there's going to be some older ones in here. Some of you older people will be some younger ones in here. So I tried to mix it up and keep it fair for everybody. So, okay, we're going to, does anybody know this famous married couple? Who said that? Say it loud. I, I'm old. I That's Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. Okay, so did some of you young people out of it already? Did you get that, Julio? Did you know that? All right. I think 50%. I'll be a gracious teacher. All right. Okay. Who knows? Let me know. Rich, this is your speed here. This is what you watch all the time. Fred and Wilma Flintstone. <laughs> all right. Fred and Wilma Flintstone. Okay, we know who this is. Ronald and Nancy Reagan. Nancy and Ronald Reagan. He was one of our presidents back in the 80s. Who do you know? Who, who's this? Rocky Balboa and Adrian Balboa. Excellent. Good job there, Dante. Now, there's no last name here, just first names. I guess there could be a last name. What's their first names? Come on. We really? Aragorn and Arwen. And honey, I'm so proud of you. You watch this movie all the time. And what would their last name be if they had one? Strider? Would that qualify? I don't know. Let's just move on. That's falling. Okay, who are these guys? Ken and Barbie. Jim and Pam, what's their last name? There we go. Thank you, Julio. Who are these guys? Homer and Marge Simpson. There we go. Okay. King Kong and Faith. Now, that's... That's I'm not going to give you full credit for that because that's not from the Fay Ray movie. 
Who's the? What's the name of the character in here? Anne. What's her last name? Not Hathaway. What do you? <laughs> Anne Darrow. Man, who, I'm going to give you full credit because no one else knew that one. Okay. Famous. Check that out, buddy. Look at that head of hair. That's 29 years ago. I'm planting one on here, man. I'm going for it right there. That was, yeah, that was the moment that our kids regret forever. No, just kidding. That's it. And then final, last one. Stacy's and my favorite TV couple. Who are these guys? And Deborah Barone. Ray and Deborah Barone. Excellent. Hey, if you've ever watched the show and you've seen the way that these couples or even in all these different cartoon things, we can look to other people's examples of marriage or we can do what we're going to do today. We're going to look at God's Word and follow His plans for for marriage. And before we before we jump into that, I just want to ask a couple questions. And these questions are inside your program because these are questions that come up when we start to talk about that. The first question that people a lot of times raise, especially in the church, is you know, what about the issue of divorce? You know, divorce is a reality. I did some study in that forty one percent of all marriages in the United States end in divorce. Forty percent of all first marriages. When there was a remarriage, the second marriage, did you realize that 60% of second marriages end in divorce? And 73%, almost three-quarters, of all third marriages end in divorce. It's a, it's a reality that we face, and so we want to just address it. And actually, those numbers are worse in Russia, Belarus, the Ukraine. Those numbers are actually worse. Well, the question is, well, how does God feel about that? And the answer is simply... That, that God is pro-marriage, okay? Uh, Malachi 2.16 says that, I hate divorce, says the Lord. And I want to clarify something here. God hates divorce. He doesn't hate the divorcee. There's a story behind every, you know, divorce. Sometimes there are people who are victims of divorce. And, and maybe some of you here experience that in your own life or in your family life. I have family members and loved ones who have gone through divorce. And I'm telling you what, they suffered through it. Nobody wins during divorce except for the lawyers. They're the ones who... It's a heavy thing. It's a hard... Why does God hate it? Because it hurts people. He's not upset about the people. He's just upset about people getting um, devastated and hurt and wounded through that. In Matthew 19.6, Jesus said, What well, God has joined together, let man not separate. And like I said, there's, there's a different story for people. And I want you to know that if you've been involved in divorce, that you're not second class. A lot of times people in church feel like they're second class or they're damaged goods or they're not as good as anybody else. Uh, but here, I just want you to know, at Freedom Bible Church, you're loved by God. You're loved by us. No one is looking down on you through divorce. Um, we don't encourage it. If you're in a place in your marriage where you're struggling and you're considering it, we would say don't go there because God does hate divorce. God is pro-marriage. Now, there are people who have been in marriages where they're being abused verbally or physically, and we would say to get away from there. 
we would say that to not stay there in that situation where you're being taken advantage of and abused, where injustice is taking place, if you're struggling in a marriage, we know, and I know personally, some excellent marriage counselors that we can refer people to for those things. People would say, well, doesn't God allow for divorce? And he does. If one of the members in the marriage is committing adultery and won't stop, those are biblical grounds for divorce. If one of the people in the marriage is abandoning the family and abandoning, those are biblical grounds for divorce. But where does God stand in that? Where do we stand on that? Because God hates it. God's pro-marriage. He hates divorce because it hurts people and destroys lives. And he's not for that. And we're not for that, but we're for people who have been victimized, who are hurting, who are suffering. Uh, No matter what people have done in their past, yesterday was day zero. Today can be day one. So I just want people to know that's where we stand and that we're not anti-divorcee, we're pro-marriage. Second question that people might ask is, what about marrying a non-Christian? getting married to somebody who's not a believer? And the answer is, if you're not married yet, then don't do it. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. It's pretty clear. If you're a believer and somebody you're interested in is not, while they're not a believer, we're not to get married to them. What about if I'm married and the person I'm married to, maybe I came to Christ after we were married, or we got married already and my spouse is not a believer? Well, the answer is to stay in that marriage. Make that marriage healthy. 1 Peter 3, 1 says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe, and this is vice versa too, if your husband doesn't believe, or if your wife doesn't believe, if your spouse doesn't believe, stay in that, so that they may, may be won over without words by your behavior. In other words, don't nag them. Don't badger them. Just love them. Live out Um, your faith in Christ in your marriage so that your spouse can be one to Christ. So if you are not, and and young people, this is God's design to not, and it doesn't matter, you know, well, he's a really nice guy. She's a really good girl. The question isn't, are they nice or are they good? The question really isn't, well, they say they believe in God. It's, are they godly? Are they pursuing Jesus? Those are the ones to pursue. Final question. And this is, in our culture today, um, we talk about equal rights, women's liberation, all these different things. Um, at our church, we have women serving in all different areas. We have men serving in all different areas. But when it comes to pastoring and being an elder, we only have men in those positions. And people might say, well, isn't that sexist? What about equal rights? And, and according to Scripture, husbands and wives... Men and women are absolutely equal in value, absolutely equal in importance. Men are not more valuable than women. Men are not more important important than in women. And we saw that a few weeks ago in the book of Ruth, that, um, that Ruth, you know, she's mentioned in Scripture. We saw the week before that Jesus used a woman as a main character in the parable of the coins, and he wasn't elevating women. He was revealing their true value, their true level of elevation, that it's equal. Equal in value, equal in importance, but just different in roles. Women are more gifted in certain roles. Men are more gifted in certain roles. And it's just like tonight at 820, 
the Cleveland Browns are playing the Los Angeles Rams. Who's our quarterback for the Browns? Does anybody know his name? Baker Mayfield. Who's the top receiver for the Browns? Odell Beckham Jr. Who's more important? Who's more valuable? They're kind of equal in value. they got different roles. One of them throws the ball better. One of them catches the ball better. Both of them are equally important, equally valuable in order to win that game. And same with men and women, equal in value, equal in importance, just different in role. And what we're going to do the rest of today is we're going to look at what does God's Word say about those roles. How do we make marriage healthy? How do we make it the best? And it's when men and women are fulfilling those roles according to to Scripture. And as we look at these, if you're sitting beside your spouse, this is not the time to elbow them when they're not living up to their role. This is the time to, to look in the mirror. And if you're a young person, you're like, man, I'm not married yet. These, look at these things as who you can become and start working on them now. And also, who, as I'm looking for a future spouse, who should I look for in the, as, a, as a future spouse if you're single, not married? Also, if you are um, a widow or a widower here and you're, we're going through these things and these things can bring up some memories, use this as an opportunity to thank God. Don't, don't dismiss those memories. Thank God for those good memories with the spouse that God had given you that had passed. So let's look at these things. And as I've taught my sons, it's always ladies first. So we'll look at the roles for ladies first. And if we have enough time, We'll get to the men's roles. So first of all, ladies are told to respect. Respect your husbands. Ephesians 5.33 says the wife must respect her husband. Uh, It was over 20 years ago that I was working with a youth pastor in Madison, Ohio. If you know where Madison is, I just get on 90 and drive past Cleveland. Madison, Ohio. I was going to meet him at his church, but his wife needed their van. So he said, can you pick me up at the house? So I went to the house to pick him up. He invited me to come in, and he was getting a cup of coffee. He said, hey, let me show you this new coffee maker we got. You see, this is 20 years ago. He says, I can program it the night before, and it makes coffee. So when I wake up, I can smell the coffee. It's already waiting for me. Then he said, yeah, this this is the lazy man's coffee maker. And his wife was there, and she said, And you certainly are a lazy man. Wow. That was awkward. That was disrespectful. So ladies, don't badmouth him to his face. Don't badmouth him behind his back. Don't badmouth him to the kids. Don't badmouth him to the in-laws, to your girlfriends, or to other men. Don't show that disrespect. Instead, Show respect. And you might say, what if my spouse, my husband, is not behaving in a respectful manner? It's possible to not respect what he's doing while showing respect to who, for, you know, for his position. Uh, there's people in this room probably have had different levels of respect for different presidents that have served this nation. And while you might not respect the president for their character or different things they've done, we can still respect the office of that position. So we're told to show that respect. The second role that women are given, and this is the this is the tricky one, right? It's that whole idea of submit. Now let me read from Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit 
to your husbands as to the Lord. And then two verses later, 524, now as the church submits to Christ, also wives, oh, let me put that up there so you can read it, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So told two different times here to submit. Now, this is not telling ladies to be a doormat, okay, or to be a slave. This word submit is a military word. It means to come under the authority of a commanding officer. Now, it's not, that doesn't mean an inferior to a superior. It doesn't mean that. It means I'm willingly coming under their authority. It means to, literally, it means to defer to that person. When you're making a decision as a couple and there's a difference of opinion, it's, you know what, I'm going to defer to my husband and he then has the responsibility of making the right decision. So there's responsibility that's put on his shoulders and as I'm coming and I'm trusting, as I'm submitting, I'm really saying, okay, Lord, I trust you to work through him to make the right decision. I'm not going to badger him. I'm not going to nag him. And if he makes the wrong decision, and men, have we ever made unwise decisions? Anybody besides me done that? Wives, that's not the, the, the green light to say, I told you so, or I'm never going to trust you again. It's to come alongside and say, hey, you know what? I know that didn't turn out the way that you and I thought it would, um, but I still trust you, and God's working in us, and I think we'll do better the next time. That's what that means, to submit. It's simply, it's not a somebody's more valuable, somebody's more important. It's simply a chain of command. Somebody has to lead. And God has given husbands not the right to lead, but the responsibility to lead well and to follow his lead in making those decisions. There are many great women leaders, but in the home and in the church, men have been given that responsibility and hopefully, ladies, hopefully that relieves some of the pressure from you. And men, that puts some pressure on you to do it well, to lead well, to follow the Lord's lead. And the better that you follow the Lord's lead in things, the easier it is for your wife to submit. Does that make sense? So a sergeant and a private, both on the same team, both have the common goal, but one leads and takes responsibility for making those decisions. So men... Seek God. Make wise decisions that will help your wife. It will help her. Third role, next role of a, for a wife, is to develop inner beauty. Uh, there is, above the surface, on the outside of women, um, there, there's a beauty, isn't there? Much more beauty in the gals than in the guys. And so, you know, Adam was created first, and then Eve, and people say, well, God created Adam, so I can do better than this. <laughs> Made Eve's like, all right, that's really good. <laughs> that's very good there. And I don't know if that's really sketchy theology, but i got to say that, that women have much better outer beauty than, than men do. But what he's referring to, this inner beauty, is below the surface. Below the surface, there's an even greater beauty. Besides the outside adornment, there's this, this below-the-surface beauty. And, and we're told in 1 Peter... Your beauty, ladies, should not come from outward adornment. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty. Beauty that doesn't, because our outside beauty, it fades, doesn't it? 
the older we get, the more our bodies break down, the more our metabolism slows down, the more wrinkles we get. The outer beauty, it, it eventually fades, but the inner beauty, the unfading beauty, in fact, the inner beauty doesn't fade. It can grow stronger and get more and more beautiful as time goes on. The unfading beauty, and here it is, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is, and get this now, which is of great worth in God's sight. And this is the only place in all of Scripture where this phrase is used. This is the only thing that's, that's um, described as having great worth in God's sight, and it's the inner beauty of a woman. That has great worth in God's sight. Now, what we're not saying here is, ladies, that you can't wear makeup, because you certainly can't. It's not saying don't wear nice clothes, don't wear nice jewelry, that you have to dress like Little House on the Prairie or the Amish. Doesn't say It's not saying don't exercise and eat unhealthy. It's absolutely fine to look nice, to dress nice, and feel nice on the outside. But what they're saying is it's more important on the inside. The heart, the character, the humility, the wisdom, the gentleness, the quiet spirit, the honoring, the hospitality, not being jealous, not being greedy, not nagging or complaining or being critical or gossipy or manipulative or mean or controlling. It means having this beautiful uh, spirit on the inside that radiates to the outside and it's attractive to your spouse and attractive to people. And remember, this is of great worth in God's sight. And it's, I'm telling you what, it's of great worth to a husband too. What a joy to have that in your home. So husbands, help your wife reinforce her inner beauty. Compliment her on the outside. Tell her that her eyes look nice, her lips, her smile, her face. Tell her how attractive she is on the outside. But compliment her on the inside too. Tell her about her heart. How you love her modesty, her gentleness, her respect. Help her to focus on that inner beauty by reinforcing and complimenting that inner beauty. Uh, finally, one last role for the wife is to, to manage the home. To manage the home. In Titus 2, 4 and 5, we're told older women train the younger women. Here's a discipling here. Older women discipling the younger women. And one of the things is to take care of the home. Now, again, let me clarify. What I'm not saying is stay in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. That's not what we're saying here. It's not saying that, wives, you have to wait on the family hand and foot like a servant doing everything that they want. Not saying that, ladies, it's your job, your sole responsibility to cook, to clean, to do laundry, to make lunches, to make all the arrangements in the home. That's not what we're saying here. What this scripture means is that you oversee the home. You manage the home. You make sure the chores get done, that those get divided out to everybody. And what this means is, husbands, you give up control of the home. You let her manage the home. She's probably better at it than, than you are. But sometimes at this point, women will ask, well, is it okay? And this was more of an issue 20, 30 years ago. Is it okay if I work outside my home and don't spend all my time focused on the home? And sure it is. It's certainly fine to work outside your home. 
There might be seasons in life where it's better or best to stay home and give more attention to managing the home. We did that from the time our daughter was born, uh, 1994, until really our, our youngest was second, third, fourth grade. So for about 16 years, you know, Stacy was working primarily, almost exclusively, managing our home. And then as our daughter was graduating high school and for college, and, and she entered the workforce against working outside. So there might be seasons in life where you're exclusively at home, but it's certainly not a sin to not be there. But managing the home, um, overseeing the home, that, that's, that's for our wives and men. We've got to give up control and let them have um, that authority there. So managing the home being respectful to your husbands, being submissive to your husbands in the right way, uh, having this inner beauty, which is of great value in God's sight. That's uh, the woman's role in the marriage. Oh, man, if you look at the time, that's about all we got time for today. Let's just wrap this up. And uh, now we'll look at, our, look at our men now. So, men, let me, first of all, this disclaimer. As we're, what we go over here, this is not a description of any of us. Sometimes I've heard pastors preach and really bumping themselves up. I'm not in any way making any type of you know imagination that that is the case at all. But this is our biblical roles for our men. First of all, men, we're told to love our wives. You notice that women hadn't been, there was no specific command for women to love their husbands. I think it's more natural that they are doing that. But men, we tend to love other things, and we're commanded then, to show love to our wives. Now, in the, in the Scriptures, there's three different New Testament words written in Greek that are translated love. The first one is the word eros, and that's where we get the word erotic from. This is a romantic love, a passionate love, and a sexual love, and that's for a man and a, wo- a wife. That's Eros is only between a husband and wife. Uh, there's also the word philos, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. And this is a brotherly love. This means that a husband and wife, you're to be best friends with each other. Men, there's not some other guy that's my best friend. Girls, wives, there's not some other gal that's my best Husband and wife are intended to be best friends. Uh, and then the third word is the word agape. So you've got eros, philos, and then agape. And that's, that's a devoted love, a sacrificial love through thick and thin, sickness and health, richer and poorer. That's that, that agape love. And we see three different times in that Ephesians passions, three different times. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. He's telling agape your wives just like Christ agaped the church, just like he loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ demonstrated this sacrificial love. He modeled that for men in marriage to be have that sacrificial love for your wife. Put her needs above your own. I might think I need a 65-inch TV in my, in my house, but my wife might need something different. I might need a new crossbow to hunt with. I might need a night out with my guys, but if I'm going to love my wife, her needs come before my needs. That's that agape love. It's unconditional. Men, even if your wife does not always demonstrate a gentle and quiet spirit and an inner beauty, even if she doesn't show respect, even if she doesn't submit, 
I still give a sacrificial love. That's the responsibility of leadership, that I take the first step, that men take the first step, that men make those right decisions. And as I show sacrificial love, that will help my wife develop that inner beauty. That will help her to submit. That will help her to respect and have that gentle spirit. And that will be of great worth in God's sight and in your home. These other two verses from Ephesians. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Take care of our bodies. Take care of our wives. Verse 33, each man must love his wife as he loves himself. Three different times we're told to love our wives. So to emphasize that our number one role in our marriage, guys, is to love our wives. And it will help them to respect and submit and have that gentle spirit. Women are saying on the inside, amen. Keep on going, Pastor. Keep keep telling us. So we will. Second of all, this is a command just to husbands now. Husbands, we're told to understand our wives. Now, in this picture, I'm not going to pretend to know which brain is the wife or which brain is the husband, but husbands are told to understand. In 1 Peter 3, 7, you husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. And what this means, this means is to know your wife, to understand her, to study her. Get a degree in your wife. Who is she? Who's the real her? How do we get to know that? By asking her questions. Questions about her feelings and emotions. And when you ask those questions, we listen to our spouse. You know that there's three levels of communication. There's the fact level, the opinion level, and the feeling level. The fact level is, what did you do today at work? Give me the facts. This is what I did. The opinion level is, how did you like what you did at work today? It was a good day. That's my opinion. It was a bad day. That's my opinion. I didn't enjoy traffic. That's my opinion. The deepest level, the inner level where we get to know somebody and understand somebody, is the feeling. Tell me about how you felt at work today. Did you feel appreciated at work today? Did you feel neglected at work today? Tell me about the things that happened at work today that were exciting for you, that make you want to go back tomorrow. What were the frustrating things? You hear Those are questions that are getting at the feelings, and when you listen, guess what? We're understanding our spouse. And the more we understand, the easier it is to empathize, to sympathize, and to love. To love our wife the way that God told us to love our wives. Third thing, role of a husband, is to be caring. To be caring towards her. Now, when I understand... When I understand her, I'm getting at the emotional connectedness. Does that make sense? Emotional connecting through through understanding. When we talk about caring, we're going to look at a word in a second. This word caring means this physical connection, emotional connection and physical connection. So what's this telling us? Husbands, put your arms around your wife. Embrace your wife. Care for your wife. Ephesians 5.29 says, No one hates his own body, but lovingly cares for it. Just as Christ cares for his body, which is the church. And there's this, this physical uh, embrace that we then have 
for our wives. And, and our wives can feel secure when there's a loving, protective, physical connection with, with our wives. Uh, I grew up in a logging family. I'd shared that before in Pennsylvania. And, and going through college, I cut firewood. And I remember this one time we were in New York State, and there was a big woods that we were logging from. And there was a field, and we were dragging the logs out to the field that were going to be sawed up, put on a log truck, taken to the mill. We would take the tops to another location about a half mile away, and I was there with a chainsaw cutting up the treetops into 16-inch pieces that we would then put in a dump truck, take, and we would split it and sell it for firewood. At the end of one of those days, we were done at our site, got in the dump truck, and my brother was working with me, and this was probably 1987, 1988, so my brother thought it would be cool to stand on top of the dump truck. See, there's a dump bed, and then part of the dump bed, there's a lip that goes over top of the the cab of the dump truck. So my brother stood on that lip doing that surfing thing, and so I'm driving down the road, maybe about 20 miles an hour, give or take, and he's doing the surfing thing. We get down there to where my dad is at, at the logging site, and he's about to come out of his boots. He failed to see the enjoyment on our faces. And my dad says, what's he doing up there? He could fall off and dent the hood. You think my brother felt cared for? didn't matter about him. It all that mattered was the hood of that truck. And how many times men, by the way we react, do our wives feel like we care more about the hood than about, than about them? So we're told to care about how she feels, care about what's going on, to care for our wife, to have that, that emotional connectedness and then that physical care and connectedness. It's all about making our spouse, making our wife feel safe. Now, Ultimately, Jesus Christ. In Christ alone do we find our satisfaction. Marriage isn't going to give us that satisfaction. It's only in Christ. If I come into that marriage looking for my spouse to satisfy me, that's not going to happen. Those are going to be unmet expectations, and it's going to be very, very frustrating. I'm complete in Christ. Spouse is complete in Christ. As we bring these things together, it can become a beautiful thing. It's not instantaneous. There's work and struggles and failures and successes to make it happen, but it can be it can be really good. So men, cherish her, value her, protect her, care for her. And finally, for our men, show honor and respect to her and for her. First Peter three seven says to show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now this word honor, guess what it means? It means to respect. So just like wives are commanded to respect their husbands, we've got to respect our wives too. Treat her with decency. Don't demean her. Don't demand from her. Don't criticize her. Don't belittle her. Don't micromanage her or try to control her. Treat her with honor. Don't speak harshly. Speak with kindness. And gentleness. Now, guys, there's something inborn in us. It's called this being a protector. We're sort of wired to be a protector, and we want to unleash that protector fury on anybody that threatens or harms my spouse. 
I don't unleash that fury on my spouse. It's unjust in God's sight. And there's a real danger there because did you see what it said? That she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. That means if your wife is a believer in Christ, she's a child of God. We sang about that today. She's God, the king's daughter. She's a princess. Do not mistreat God's princess. It does not go well. It will not go well if that's how you do things, if you treat people, especially her, that way. God's given you that protectiveness to protect and shield your wife and care for her and honor her that way. Did you see that last phrase there that's highlighted? Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. It's the only place in Scripture that says that something will hinder our prayers. It's the only thing that could possibly hinder your prayers. If you do not honor your wife, it will hinder your prayers. Imagine if you mistreat the king's daughter, you think he's going to listen to you when you have something to bring before him? Make those things right with your spouse if you've dishonored your spouse because it will hinder your prayers if you don't show that honor. So show her respect, show her honor, care for her, understand her, and love her. And we're not done yet. We've got two more things to share because we each have our separate roles, but then God gives us a combined role as a, a husband and wife, as a married couple. And that first combined role is to cling to each other. Ephesians 5.31 says that a man leaves his father and mother and he's joined to his wife. And the two of them are united as one. Back in the book of Genesis, we're told that a, a man leaves his mother and father and he leaves and then he cleaves to his, his spouse. And in the Hebrew language, that word cleaves means that he hotly pursues his wife. That sounds pretty fun, doesn't it? We hotly pursue our spouse. It's being united. It's sticking together. It's being glued together. It's being welded together in this life, in this culture, uh, in this world with a real live devil, Satan, the enemy, who wants to divide and wants to destroy. And we live in a culture that celebrates division. It's like we're standing in a hurricane and a husband and wife have to cling to each other, to hold together, because things are trying to separate us. Like a child with anxiety, uh, separation anxiety, we've got to cling to each other. Pray. Ask God for help. Ask God to wrap His hands around both of us, holding together. When I was uh, doing Dante and Katie's wedding just a few months ago, we looked at the book of Ecclesiastes that said, you know, two are better than one, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Husband and wife were those two strands, and God's that third one. We need him wrapping us together. Uh, let your kids see you clinging to each other. Let your kids see that affection. It gives them security. And finally, speaking of kids, as a couple, our role is to pass Christ on to our children, to our kids. Malachi 2.15 says, Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? He made you to cling together. He made you united. In body and in spirit, you're one. But also, you're not only one, you, you're His. In body and spirit, 
You are His. You belong to Him. And what does God want since He owns you, since you belong to Him? God wants godly children from your union, from your marriage. Part of the reason that we're married is to raise godly kids. So as a couple, we work together to pass Christ on to our kids. Going back to Boaz and Ruth, we look at what they passed on all the way down to Jesus Christ. That's part of our role. It's fair there, good, that we raise our kids to be godly. It's the best life possible for them on earth and in preparation for heaven. So tell them about Jesus. Show them what it means to follow Jesus. What's our mission statement at Freedom? To help people know Jesus, follow Jesus, serve Jesus, and obey Jesus. Parents, model for our kids what it means to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to serve Jesus, and obey Jesus. That's passing Christ on to our children. That's leaving the same legacy that Ruth and Boaz left for their children. God ordained marriage. He started marriage. The two institutions that God ordained were marriage back in Genesis and then the church in the New Testament. So we as a church want to endorse and try to build healthy marriages. And we recognize that all of our different marriages, whether you're divorced, never been married yet, been married several times, we're all over the spectrum. But wherever we're at today, to take that next step forward, to honor God, to have healthy marriages, to leave that healthy legacy that God ordained as a church and as a family. And we want them to be healthy. We want them to be fantastic. And he's given us instructions of how to do that. Uh, Let's just look briefly at our pathway this week, our disciple pathway. How about memorizing that Colossians, and I've got the right, uh, I got the right, Pete, I screwed up again. Do you see that? That's not the right verse. In your program, it's the right verse. Ephesians 5.20. Pete corrected me last week. I had the wrong verse in the program. I got the right one in the program, wrong one on the screen. Ephesians 5.21 is our memory verse to this week. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What do we read this week? First Peter 1 through 5, especially chapter 3, focuses on marriage. That's our marriage pa- our, our disciple pathway this week. And then pick one role, one marriage role that we went over today that God is revealing to you to address in your own life. And this isn't the elbow your spouse moment. What's one thing? Whether you're single, married, divorced, never been married, been um, widowed, widower, what's one thing? God is still developing us, working on us. And then this week, pray diligently for your spouse. Thank God for them. If you don't have a spouse yet, pray for your future spouse, that God would grow them, that God would prepare you for them, that God would prepare them for you. That's our pathway this week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, You know, on this side of eternity, Brian was reminding me this morning, Lord, that there's no marriage in heaven. We only have marriage on earth, Lord. So help us, God, to get the most out of it, to put the most into it, to get the most joy, the most satisfaction, have the most health in our marriages now, God. I pray, God, for, for our folks who have lost their mate, widower, widower, 
pray for their hearts as they uh, have lost a loved one. Uh, they probably have some tough memories, but have many good memories. Lord, I pray for our folks who have experienced divorce, the heartache, uh, the frustration, the, the brokenness and the hurt, and maybe even embarrassment. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for your hand to lift them up. I pray that they would feel here at Freedom God like they are welcome, that they belong, that they're not second class. Lord, that they were, we're all we're all beggars and we found bread. We've all been forgiven. Uh, so please encourage people's hearts. And if people, Lord, have been through a divorce, bring them through and heal them through, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that maybe you'd give them a great next marriage. Give them a great spouse. Help them to become the spouse. Help them to find the spouse that you have that you have uh, given us instructions for in your word. And Lord, for, for our young people who are going to be married in the future, I pray that, that they would cooperate with you in the work that you're doing now to prepare them for that. Help them to be patient and wait on your, on your given spouse. Lord, for people who are married to an unbelieving spouse, I pray that they would love them well, follow your roles well, and win their spouse to Christ, Lord. And Lord, the rest of our days on this planet, that we would enjoy this gift, the gift of the church that you ordain, the gift of marriage that you ordain. Make them healthy, make them strong, make them a great testimony to you. And Lord, like Brian had said, we only get them on this side. Help us to enjoy them and, and invest the most in them on this side. Uh, we thank you, Father, and pray through Jesus. Amen. Uh, before we dismiss, want to say, um, I won't see you next week. I'll be preaching and training at a church in Iowa next weekend. But a friend of mine, a guy named Dan Sams, uh, he's a fellow pastor. He's a pastor of a church in Amherst. He's going to be filling in and preaching for me next week. So come on back next week, and I'll see you. I'll see you in two. Uh, remember, young people, bring your